Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning and welcome to the General Motors Company second quarter 2023 earnings conference call. During the open remarks, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host. And on this episode, on today's episode, on this week's episode, today's episode, on today's episode, we are going to go over GM's Q2 2023 earnings conference call. I have about eh, roughly two and a half hours before I need to take my laptop in to get repaired, and it's going to be sent away. So we're going to keep comments, my comments on the next two episodes, kind of brief. I was going to do Fisker's earnings call first, but I was incorrect on the time that Fisker was was having their earnings call. It's not going to tell August 4th. So we're going to do today will be GM's episode. And let's see here. Um, Fridays will be Stellantis's episode. All right, let's go ahead and jump into Mary Barra's opening remarks. Just so you know, her remarks were edited down so that it would uh, make sense for this show. A lot of the stuff mentioned in her opening remarks were either talked about later from an analyst question or uh, were just not important to what we do here on this show. So let's go ahead and jump into her opening remarks. In the EV market, we achieved our target of to produce 50,000 electric vehicles in North America in the first half. About 80% were the Chevrolet Bolt EV and EUV, uh, but the Altium platform production is increasing. We've had more than 2,000 customer reserve GMC Hummer EVs and Cadillac Lyrics in transit to dealers at the end of June. With both cell and vehicle production increasing, we continue to target production of roughly 100,000 EVs in the second half of the year, and will continue to grow from there. Demand for our EVs remains very strong because the Ultium platform is purpose-built for electric vehicles, and it does not force customers to compromise on style, performance, utility, range, or towing. We have experienced unexpected delays in the ramp because our automation equipment supplier has been struggling with delivery issues that are constraining module assembly capacity. We are working on multiple fronts to put this behind us as quickly as possible, and things are already improving. For example, we have deployed teams from GM Manufacturing Engineering to work on site with our automation supplier to improve delivery times, 
We've also added manual module assembly lines, and we're installing more module capacity at our North American EV plants, beginning with Factory Zero and Spring Hill this summer, Ramos Arispe in the fall, and CAMI in the second quarter of next year. And to address pent-up demand among our Hummer EV customers, we are planning to increase second-half production by thousands of units. In the meantime, Ultium Cells LLC is delivering great quality, and production is ahead of schedule. Looking ahead, the next phase of our EV acceleration is coming into sharper focus. For example, we have now secured more than half of our 2030 direct sourcing target for many critical raw and processed materials we need with significant onshoring. During the quarter, this included an expansion of our cathode active material joint venture in Canada and an investment to bring manganese sulfate processing to a new facility in Louisiana. As with other recent announcements, these agreements provide us with significant offtake and favorable commercial terms, which is a key component of the EV margin improvement strategy we outlined last quarter. So the biggest thing I took from this was that 80% of the EVs that GM sold were Chevy Bolts. Uh, a vehicle that is not built on the Ultium platform, a be- vehicle that is built on the old LG platform that GM and LG partnered on. The I don't know if that that's a problem, but right now GM is selling in the U.S. They're selling the Hummer EV, which is really expensive, and the Cadillac Lyric, which is just plain expensive. Uh, you know, there's a demand for that sub $30,000 EV. And that's why GM and Chevy, they're bringing back that Chevy Bolt because there is such a high demand for that vehicle. So where all the Ultium platform vehicles? Well, it sounds like they're having manufacturing suppliers, you know, with with the actual equipment for uh, building those modules. And then, you know, they've only secured half of the raw materials that they're going to need to meet their goals. Now, that doesn't mean they can't build plenty of EVs in between now and the time that their goals are supposed to happen. But it seems like just from the outside where I'm sitting, that um, any hiccup in the supply chain or some geopolitical thing happens somewhere else in the world, uh, GM may not be able to build the vehicles that they want to build just because, you know, the world's a crazy place right now. Next up, Mary Barra is going to talk about reducing uh, trim options. For our EV and ICE vehicles, we are targeting a 50% reduction in trim levels through a smart bundling of customer features and options. This results in fewer part numbers to simplify marketing, engineering, manufacturing, while maintaining the best features customers want. Yet we are maintaining market coverage for all major segments and price points, and the U.S. will compete in ICE and EV segments that represent about 90% of the industry volume in 2030. Our next-generation full-size pickup and SUVs will show just how powerful winning with simplicity will be. We are investing significantly less capital and expect to deliver vehicles that will have much higher levels of customer-facing content and even better margins than today. Another great example of a capital-efficient program is the next-generation Chevrolet Bolt that we plan to execute. Our customers love today's Bolt. It has been delivering record sales and some of the highest customer satisfaction and loyalty scores in the industry. It's also an important source of conquest sales for the company and for Chevrolet. More than 70% of customers are new to GM. We will keep the momentum going by delivering a new bolt that delivers what customers have come to expect, which is great affordability, range, and technology. 
and we will execute it more quickly compared to an all-new program and with significantly lower engineering expense and capital investment by updating the vehicle with Ultium and Altify technologies and by applying our winning with simplicity discipline. We will have more details to share soon. For our EV and Reducing trim levels and options and bundling some of those things together is definitely a cost-saving measure. It also, you know, helps with simplifying your product line for sure. Tesla did this with the Model S and Model X right before the Model 3 was released, but they really hit hard uh, when the Model 3 and the Model Y, because with the Model 3 and the Model Y, you could hardly choose anything. You could choose seat colors, maybe what tires you wanted, but that was about it. And Tesla took some grief for that. I don't hear anybody giving GM grief for this, even though I do think it makes a lot of sense. Now, on to the Bolt. I have heard some people say that the new Bolt is going to be uh, directly competitive with the Model Y, the Tesla Model Y, or Model 3, excuse me. I don't know that it is. GM hasn't said that it is. We don't know anything about the new Bolt. So I think it's a little premature to start saying that. So instead, let's just be happy that the Bolt is sticking around. Next up, we're going to get a GM Cruise or Chevy Cruise, whatever it's called. We are halfway through our first year of rapid scaling, and it's going extremely well. We're on a trajectory that most businesses dream of, which is exponential growth driven by continuous improvement, engineering innovation, and solid product market fit. Our formula for driving this growth is quite simple. Number one, we increase the supply of vehicles. Number two, we increase the service availability so more people can use it. And number three, we make the product awesome. So let's talk about how we're doing on all those and then get into the numbers. On the supply side, we recently hit 390 concurrent driverless AVs. We believe this is the largest and fastest growing AV fleet in the world. Yet you will see several times this scale within the next six months. This is all on the Bolt platform, which we can scale to thousands of AVs. But we're also about to transition to Origins, which are a game changer for cost and are incredible to ride in. And today I'm pleased to share that our test vehicles are already running in driverless mode on public roads in multiple cities. And we are confident in our regulatory and permitting path, despite this being the first time a major OEM has manufactured a vehicle without traditional controls. As a result, we believe we're the only AV company with a well-defined and significantly de-risked path to reach billions in revenue. On the second item, availability, we're rapidly expanding cities, hours, and service area. As of very recently, we now operate a significant portion of our San Francisco fleet 24-7 across the entire city. We've expanded geofences and hours in Austin and Phoenix, and we plan to expand significantly in the next 30 days. Lastly, we've done the prep work and will launch commercial service in two or three more cities in the next 12 weeks alone, bringing us to as many as six commercial markets with several more following shortly after. All the critical ingredients, things like mapping, ground infrastructure, validation, user acquisition, etc., have become several times more efficient as we move from city to city. On the third, making the product awesome. We have over 85,000 five-star reviews in San Francisco alone. People love the product, and it gets better every month with each new software update. And based on data from tens of thousands of users across multiple cities, it's clear to us now that demand will greatly exceed supply for several years. And this gives us margin opportunity and the potential to be ahead of plan on revenue growth. Now that is rapid scaling. I'll share a few additional data points before we move on. 
Cruise cracked 3 million miles just 49 days after hitting 2 million miles. And the next mile, million is going to be even faster. We're now doing over 10,000 rides per week. But more importantly, we're growing rides at 49% per month on average over the last six months. 28-day user retention is nearly at the level of a fully matured human ride hail service, and it continues to trend upwards. The product is extremely sticky despite the limitations in hours and service availability that exist today. All of that scaling is occurring while also improving safety and driving down costs. So let's take a look at those. Safety continues to improve despite increasing complexity. Our analysis of the first million miles shows AVs experience 54% fewer collisions than human drivers in similar environments, and 92% fewer where the AV was the primary contributor. In other words, the vast majority of collisions are caused by inattentive or impaired human drivers, not the AV. And we expect the gap between human and AV performance to get much wider over the next 12 months. On the cost side, we're seeing ideal trends. Our operational cost per mile traveled has gone down by an average of 15% per month for the last six months, led by optimizations in infrastructure, process improvements, and automation. Our fixed costs due to machine learning training and simulation are also decreasing over time due to better simulation techniques and investments in efficiency. But most exciting is the step function improvements in cost we will see as our newer vehicles and AV architectures launch. Due to having a much longer service life, the origin significantly reduces our cost per mile. We also have an optimized sensing and compute architecture in late-stage development that costs about 75% less than what will be on the very first origin. It's the first time Cruise's custom chips will hit the road, which we expect before the end of next year. As our fleet rolls over to this architecture, we'll start to see costs head below a dollar per mile the magic threshold at which robotaxis become cheaper for most people than owning a car. Lastly, we have something else that's been in the works for a few years that is highly disruptive to the already highly disruptive AV industry. More on that later this year. So putting these things together, it's clear now that Cruise is no longer a science project. There was one significant risk and reasons to doubt, but it's now a rapidly growing business with a transformational product in a multi-trillion dollar TAM. We've made incredible progress in uh, Q2 over Q1, and I'm excited to continue that momentum in the months ahead. We're truly just getting started. That's a pretty rosy update for GM Cruise. No in the, nowhere in there did they mention people putting, you know, traffic cones on the LiDAR so it can't drive anymore. Um, he did mention a little bit of, of the geofenced areas expanding. But right now, if I wanted to take a GM Cruise ride, which I've I've got the ability to do that, one of the folks, nice folks at um, GM gave me access. The problem was at the time that he gave me access, I can only ride from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., I think it was. And I go to bed at 9.30. I'm not that exciting of a person unless I'm doing this particular podcast, and I don't want to go anywhere after <laughs> after 10 uh, I just checked when I was listening to uh, the earnings call when I was setting this whole thing up and getting prepared for today's show. I can now ride uh, after 7 p.m. So maybe next week or this weekend, I'll take a GM Cruise ride and compare it to a Waymo ride. But I do think um, 
I think GM Cruise is is really neat. I have not experienced the actual service itself, but they are driving around my neighborhood and neighborhoods around mine. I see them often. I haven't seen any issues like they're having in San Francisco, but it's much easier to drive where I live than it is to drive in San Francisco for sure. But I, I, I would be cautious to believe everything this gentleman said. I'm not saying he's lying. However, it might be presented in a way that is optimistic. Let's just say that. Let's move into our first analyst question, and it's about the Ultium ramp. Just wanted to, to ask a couple of questions on, on the Ultium ramp. Um, first, the, the issue that you identified with the uh, the automation equipment for the modules, if you just talk about when you expect that to be uh, fully resolved, and, and are you still targeting the 400,000 of cumulative volume by the first half of next year? Uh, EJ, yes, we are. Uh, so we're, we're not walking away from any of the targets we put out, whether it's 100,000 in the second half of this year, leading then to the 400,000 by uh, middle of next year. And, you know, what you're going to see in the second half of this year and then really uh, crank up in the first half of next year is a lot more Ultium-based products. We were surprised. Uh, the supplier, um, we thought they were in better you know, on, on track for the delivery that they had. So we have been in our, our teams to help um, help them get the automation up and running. We've already seen a lot of improvement from, I'll say, you know, the last four to six weeks. We're going to continue on that path. But to de-risk it, we've also added additional lines because we don't want module production to to gate our, our launch uh, of all the products that we have coming in the second half of this year and continuing into next. And we know we're going to need that module um, assembly capability anyway as we continue to grow beyond the 400,000. So disappointing. Um, I've personally been reviewing the lines. As you know, I, I spent time in ME earlier in my career running it. So we'll get this behind us. I'm very confident of the teams we have in place. Uh, so we, you'll see it improve as we get through, um, uh, I would say, uh, into the, you know, end of third quarter, beginning of fourth quarter, and then I think it will primarily be behind us uh, by the end of the year, if not a month or month or so sooner. I really hope she's right. GM does have vehicles in the pipeline that people can actually afford. The Chevy Bolt right now is under, under $30,000. The Oh, man, I always forget. The Traverse is going to cost around $30,000 to start. The <laughs> the EV Chevy Blazer was supposed to start at, I think, $40,000. And I, I I might be wrong on this, but they raised the price, I'm going to say, between twelve dollars and $15,000. So now it's going to start at fifty two to fifty four. I just saw a quick article before I walked in the, the room to record. So don't quote me on that, on the exact price. But the base price of that vehicle right now that you can actually order and receive is going to be $12,000 more than twelve to $15,000 more than what GM originally said it was going to cost. Next up, we're going to hear about EV pickup trucks. Let's go ahead and listen. And also how you're feeling about the Silverado EV pricing, just given the recent action from your competitor. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think from uh, the recent, recent competitive action, if you look at the Silverado work truck, the range, the towing capability, the overall performance, 
it's a true truck. There, you know, so when people aren't having to make compromises or trade-offs. So I'm very confident, and we have strong demand for the Silverado work truck as well as the RST, which will, um, you know, be that's from a retail perspective out uh, toward the end of the year. So I'm very confident with where we are uh, in the pricing for the Silverado EV. Um, and that's your first question, Ite was. I- so just to probably on, on, on EV demand, what you're seeing in reservations and just how confident are you kind of and what you're seeing uh, for, for your, your products in the next few months? Yeah, again, um, you know, we're seeing with the Lyric, we're seeing with the Hummer truck and SUV, frankly, the Bolt. I mean, these vehicles are getting to the dealer's lots, and if they're not already sold, they're, you know, they've got a list of people who are waiting for them. So, uh, and, you know, we're, we still have a lot of reservations and people who put deposits down. The churn on that is very, very low. And, you know, for the, you know, rare uh customer who uh, decides, you know, they're not going to wait for the vehicle, there's several more waiting in line. So, again, we're very confident and, and it's not by accident. It's because we, you know, there's been some criticism that we should have been faster with our EVs. We're going as fast as we can, but we wanted to make sure we were leveraging a platform that's going to give us efficiency with Ultium and that consumers weren't going to have to compromise. So uh, I'm very confident with the product portfolio we have coming, the pricing and the demand. One of the things that I've been seeing a lot of in the news surrounding EVs is that there's a lot of electric vehicles just sitting at uh, dealerships on the lot, not being sold. Now, I don't know how true that is. And I also know that if a dealer is not going to make a m- bunch of money off of an EV, they're not going to sell an EV. They're going to sell a car. They're going to make a bunch of money off of. So I haven't really talked about those articles because for those reasons, but I would imagine that most of the, <laughs> most of the vehicles for GM that are EVs that are at dealer lots are the Chevy Bolt and people love the Chevy Bolt. So it would make sense that those EVs, 80% of the ones that they all EVs that GM sold are the ones not staying on the lots. Now, as far as the Hummer goes and as far as the Lyric goes, I don't know how well they are or are not uh, selling. I don't think GM has really released those numbers. But it is something that we should start paying attention to as Chevy starts ramping up and producing more Chevy Blazer EVs and the Traverse EV. And if they ever get the Silverado EV pickup truck out, which, by the way, this is a really fun note. I I put a $100 reservation down on the GM or the, the uh, Chevy Silverado, hoping that I could get one, you know, by now. I, when I got my Model Y, I decided to cancel that. They still have not given me my money back. <laughs> so that's fun. That is a, that's a fun, uh, that's a fun game to call them a couple of times a week to play that. So just if you're thinking about your, uh, if you're thinking about reserving a, a GM EV and putting $100 down or whatever the cost is, make sure your dealer is going to give you your money back. Uh, I'm not saying anything nefarious is going on, but it's a very frustrating process. Let's move on to our next clip. Uh, on Cruise, and good to hear all of the updates on the progress that uh, Cruise is make, making. Uh, Kyle, you mentioned Cruise vehicles being safer by 54%. Maybe you could elaborate a bit on how you're measuring the safety of uh, the vehicles that Cruise has uh, with its AVs relative to a human driver. And you know, are there any specific features on the origin as it relates to safety that you could um, 
you know, p- point out as, as perhaps drivers of uh, additional improvement going forward. Thanks. Uh, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So to clarify, the, the 50-some percent number was uh, a reduction in any kind of um, collision. And the way that we managed or measured that is we looked at uh, the first million miles of driving across the cruise fleet uh, and compared that to a human benchmark that we established with um, leading transportation research institutes. And that was based on uh, millions of miles of driving by human drivers, um, where we then you know, selected a subset of, of all those miles and matched it to the way that the AVs drive. So this is as close as possible to a apples to apples comparison. Um, but beyond that, it, you know, the 50 some percent collision reduction doesn't really tell the whole story um, because that includes things where the AV was sitting still and just got rear-ended by an inattentive driver. That's, that's not really, you know, the fault of the AV. Um, when you look at uh, collisions where the AV was the primary contributor, uh, 92% fewer collisions. So most of the time, you know, it's the other vehicle that's the primary contributor to so any collision that we've seen. And then I guess another one we're, we're really proud of is, um, you know, that AVs have 73% fewer collisions with meaningful risk of, of injuries. These are the more severe types of collisions, not just the low speed fender benders. Um, so all these in aggregate tell a very compelling story. And I would emphasize that this is still, um, you know, this is the product as it exists today, and we push out a new software update each month, which targets, you know, specific kinds of safety improvements. But I think, um, you know, there was a question early on on uh, how, how do AVs do relative to humans. I think, uh, you know, our data shows that we're already, um, you, you know, at least from this data, there's, there's strong evidence of significant safety improvements. And uh, I think it's going to continue, uh, you know, improving at a rapid clip as we continue to invest in, in machine learning um, technologies and other ways to, to drive up the safety of the product. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. For what it's worth, that last little bit, as they get better with, you know, AI, we're going to improve safety 
immensely. Like even the few safety features that my car has turned on at the moment, um, I find to be very beneficial, sometimes annoying, but mostly beneficial. Um, as far as like, as far as GM cruise safety, I, I, man, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like, I think this is really cool technology. I think what they're doing is really cool. They're cherry picking data that they say is closest to an autonomous vehicle. And maybe they're being earnest in how they're doing that. I don't know. And I don't know how they're presenting their numbers. I would like to see more information. These, the, the, at least the GM uh, cruises, the Chevy Bolts, autonomous vehicles, that's what AV stands for. At least the ones in my neighborhood are not driving around at high speeds, maybe 45 miles an hour. And I'll be honest, you could die in a collision at 45 miles an hour. Uh, so, you know, that's definitely a thing that can happen, but it's not likely. And meaningful injury uh, is also not likely at 45 miles an hour. If, if everybody's following the, you know, the speed limits and it's just a, a, you know, accident on a surface street, usually everybody's okay. Not a big deal, right? If somebody's, you know, uh, doing 75 and a 45, then yeah, all bets are off. But as a general rule, these are almost always, uh, low injury cases. Like, <laughs> I work in an area that has lots of these and very few people are hurt in a meaningful way that we're following, you know, good safety precautions, wearing their seatbelts, you know, uh, you know, head on collisions can be a little bit of a different scenario, but your standard accident that happens on a service street, most of those don't end up in anybody being injured. People are usually sore, but not injured. All right, let's move on to our next clip. Question on the new bolt. Um, I think in your prepared remarks, you said it will be updated with Ultium and Ultify technology. Sorry to be pedantic here, but I just want to know, is, are you using attributes of Ultium or is this a full ground up Ultium platform? So it, it will uh, incorporate, you know, when, when the new version comes out, we will say it's an Ultium based product. Um, so we are definitely um, leveraging that technology because that's going to really help us get costs down. Remember, the today's Bolt is at our second generation battery technology. And from Gen 2 to Ultium, you know, we saw about a 40% reduction as we started to launch. So that's going to really help drive the, the profitability of that vehicle. And then, you know, with the work that we've done um, from a from software-defined vehicle, Ultify, it will have uh, the latest from that perspective as well. So this this is a very uh, capital efficient, quick way to build on, you know, the strong consumer response we have to the Bolt and get an affordable vehicle out into the marketplace. Uh, so, it, you know, as we continue to look for ways to drive capital efficiency, uh, this is something we looked before, but uh, as we've gotten more experience, the team took a look and, and frankly, I'm super excited about it. I think this is a really good question. However, um, I have a, I have a question for you, uh, the folks that listen to this audience. Was that a yes or a mostly yes? Because it sounded like a mostly yes to me, but maybe I misheard it. So let me know what you heard. Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. Let's move on to our next clip. How many uh, AVs would, would it take to sort of blanket a, a city like San Francisco to have a disruptive service similar to, to Uber? Can you do it with under, you know, one to 2,000 origin? 
And uh, as, as for what it would take to blanket a city like San Francisco, um, you know, our goal is, is I think I've said on, on previous calls, is to make sure as we ramp up manufacturing capacity, we've got um, a variety of markets to absorb those vehicles. And uh, there are practical, um, you know, reasons to ramp up gradually in a city just to make sure it acclimates as it's transitioning to a new form of mobility. Um, so it's not our intention to, to sort of uh, produce vehicles and, and sort of direct them all into a single city. Um, that said, for perspective, you know, there's just over 10,000 um, human ride-hail drivers in, in San Francisco, potentially uh, much more than that, depending on how you count it. Those, those drivers, of course, aren't working, um, you know, 20 hours a day like a robotaxi could. Um, so it does not take a, a very high number to um, generate significant revenue in a city like San Francisco, but certainly um, there's capacity to absorb, you know, several thousand per city at minimum. I don't know that it's a good practice to, you know, look at how many Uber drivers are in San Francisco, for instance, and say, well, we're going to need this many uh, GM cruises to to compete with Uber. Like they said, there was 10,000 uh, ride sharing drivers in San Francisco. Well, how many of those are active out of those that are active, how many of those drive more than one or two days a week? Out of the people who drive more than one or two days a week, how many of those people drive for eight hours? Like that that pool of people narrows down significantly. He also mentioned that, you know, of the drivers that they do have in San Francisco, they're not working 24 hours, which, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You can't. Uh, Uber actually stops you in Lyft at a certain point and says you can't drive anymore for that specific day. To me, it makes more sense to have vehicles available for those surge periods where, you know, a sporting event lets out and people need a ride home or a concert or whatever entertainment venue you want to throw onto that. It makes more sense to have vehicles for those times than it does at three o'clock in the morning and three people are using the car. It, that doesn't make any sense to me. You have to solve for those surge periods. Otherwise, when people need you, they're not going to think of you. If I get out of a concert and I you know, order my GM cruise and it's, there's not one available, I'm going to go to Waymo. If there's not a Waymo available, there's going to be an Uber. And then Uber is going to be the next one I try first because Uber worked. And, you know, it's, it's the, those surge periods, I think, are more important than everything else that he talked about. And listen, I also don't think it makes sense to have, you know, cars available for everybody that's going to want to ride home after a football game. Like you're going to have to have a certain percentage of those cars available, right? But overall, my whole point here in this diatribe uh, is we should be thinking less about competing with Uber and Lyft and more about how to get cars to people when they need a car. And that I think that's probably more important. All right, let's move on to Mary Barra's closing remarks. As I said to open the call, the success we've had in the second quarter in the first half ties directly to the great new vehicles we've launched and strong execution of our business plan. Our outlook, both for the second half and over the next several years, will increasingly be shaped by our optimized ICE and EV portfolio, our investment uh, that we're making not only in the vehicles, but also the um, growth opportunities, as well as uh, cost discipline. And so this will be the focus of our next investor day that's going to be held in mid-November, the agenda will include a detailed look at our software strategy led by Mike Abbott, who joined us from Apple in May. 
You're also going to have the opportunity to drive our newest TVs and experience uh, the expanding capabilities, as I mentioned, of Super Cruise. And one of the most important vehicles you're going to get to drive is the new Chevrolet Silverado EV work truck that we talked about it. I think it's one of the most powerful examples of the benefits of the investment we made starting in 2018 on the Ultium platform. It offers uh, up to 40% more driving range, faster charging, and far greater towing capability than competitors because, again, it was purpose-built to be an EV. And that's something that we've made the investments. We're going through the growing pains right now. Others are going to need to do that as they get to their dedicated platform. So I'm very excited about what we're doing, what we're going to be able to demonstrate in November, and just know that we're going to continue to execute with with discipline across all aspects of the business as we are in Q3 and into Q4. So um, appreciate uh, everyone and look forward to seeing you then and probably talk to most of you before then. So thanks for your participation, and I hope everybody has a great day. All right. That concludes our GMQ2 2023 earnings call. Um, I thought it was interesting. You know, I, I think that GM was optimistic in the earnings call. However, you know, it still seems like to me they still have a lot of hurdles they got to overcome, and it, they're putting things in place to 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 uh, put themselves in a good position going forward. But it doesn't sound like they're 100% there. It does sound like it's a house of cards a little bit for GM. All right. I mentioned earlier in the episode that GM was taking the Chevy uh, Blazer EV base model and raising the price by $12,000. That's actually not what they're doing here. They are removing the base trim for the Chevy EV Blazer, which was supposed to cost $45,000. And now the new base model is the 2LT, which is a dual motor uh, Chevy EV, uh, Blazer EV, which will cost $56,715 plus the destination fee. Therefore, it's $12,000 more. I mean, Marimara said that they were going to start uh, simplifying the trims and, and reducing those down. So it starts with the Chevy Blazer EV, I guess. And you know what? Chevy, Ford, uh, Stellantis has this a little bit. Like these automakers have very confusing uh, trims for their vehicles. And as somebody who talks about this twice a week into my microphone, and hopefully it reaches your ears, uh, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the simplification. Because if you've ever hear, heard me try to go through the specs of some of these vehicles, even to me, it's maddening. And I'm sure to you, it just sounds like number vomit. So I appreciate that they're doing this. But no more $45,000 Chevy EV Blazer uh, or Blazer EV. Now it starts at $57,000, which puts it right out of affordable range by about, I don't know, $26,000. Let's hope the Traverse does not suffer this same fate, because that would that would be a real bummer. All right, I have one more thing before we end today's show. I'm in a texting group with a gentleman named Thomas, really nice man. Uh, on this thread that we had going was uh, a news story that Tesla is inflating range numbers and not giving true range um, and then when people were making service appointments to, um, to, to bring their car in because it wasn't getting the range they were being told or sold, uh, Tesla had a special group of people that were canceling 
those uh, service appointments. So I'm not going to go into what the group was saying one way or the other because uh, this is largely opinion-based, and I think you can have whatever opinion you want on this. But here's what I have to – here are my thoughts on it. When I get up in the morning and I go out to my car, I have a range. Let's say it's 251 miles. So of that 251 miles that I have, I know that that is the most optimistic range number that that uh, there could be. Like if I was in Southern California on a perfect day, no hills, no wind, you know, slightly overcast, I might get something close to that 251 miles of range, right? That seems reasonable to me. But to me, this is only a potential range. It does not take into effect temperature whether it's too hot or too cold. It does not take into effect uh, grade. Are you going up a grade, down a grade? It doesn't take into effect wind. That number, to me, is just the potential that that car could do on a perfect day. And even then, I don't believe it because I don't think that car companies, as a general rule, (laughs) are honest about it. Um, I can tell you that the other day I had to pick up some stuff in the yard before taking my kids to school. They were in the car. The air conditioner was running. I was out uh, doing stuff in the morning in Phoenix during the one of the hard, hottest parts of the year, right? It was probably already 101 degrees. It, it was just really, really hot outside. And I was out picking up stuff uh, from the yard because we have a soaker system for our tree. So I was picking that all up so the neighbors don't get mad at me. And my kids were in the car for about 10 minutes and the air conditioning was going and I lost about 12 miles of range just for the car sitting there and uh, cooling my children. So I don't uh, like I don't think that Tesla inflating these numbers is a big deal. I do think Tesla canceling or having a special group or, you know, I think it was uh said in the article, it was like a secret group. Uh, but I do think that Tesla having a, a group of people just canceling people's reserva- or, uh, service appointments, I do think that that's wrong. Like the, the, the one part doesn't bother me. The range stuff doesn't bother me that much. The, uh, the, the, them canceling service appointments, that does bother me. Now, I fully admit that I don't know what those conversations were between the Tesla representative and, and the um, owner of the Tesla. I, I don't know what that uh, that conversation looked like. Maybe it was educational. It kind of sounds like from the article it wasn't, but maybe it was. Even in that situation, Tesla should be out ahead of this and and doing a better job of explaining expected range. I think that Elon uses uh, the phrase, people just don't understand a lot. And I think that's largely because Elon has a tendency to overinflate the ability of its uh, of the cars that, you know, his company built. People don't understand a lot of these things because, you know, of Elon, I think. I, um, I do think a simple, uh, I think some education on what the car is capable of and not capable of is is reasonable i also think that it's probably um like as far as these range estimates from my understanding the government sets up here is the 
the way to test for range or miles per gallon if it's an ice car. But the the automakers do their own tests. And I'm sure they only cherry pick the best data from their own test. And it may be a thing where maybe the National Highway T- Transportation Safety Institute or whoever manages that needs to be like, okay, give us three cars for X amount of days so that we could test this. I realize that would require them to hire more people and maybe it's not worth the money. But yeah, as a general rule, like the range is merely interesting. The cancellation of appointments, uh, especially not knowing what Tesla is telling those people, that one could potentially be concerning. All right, everybody, that is it for me today. If you want to email me, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. You can also find me on Twitter, at 918digital. You know what? It's not called Twitter anymore. It's called X. You can find me on X at 918digital. Ah, it's going to get take a moment to get used to. All right. It's just going to be Twitter to me, I think. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you on Friday. That concludes the conference for today. Thank you for joining. You may disconnect. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.